Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So today's passage is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter, He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built to the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit in his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized that it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Thanks very much, Katie. Uh, Let me pray one more time, and then uh, we'll get going. Father, thank you for your word, and the book of Hebrews tells us that it's living and active, and it penetrates into our lives and our hearts, exposing our thoughts, our motives, and... uh, We learn as well that it does us good and equips us for righteousness and for every good work. So, Lord, please expose us and challenge us and reveal things that we need to learn today and also equip us for what you'd have us do uh, to serve you in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, This is the last week in our stewardship series, as as Dustin was saying. So we've looked at talents, we've looked at treasures, we've looked at time, and now we're looking at privilege. Now, you might go, "What what what is privilege? And what does stewarding privilege mean? Well, a privilege, according to the dictionary, is a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. Or put simply, a privilege is something you have, an opportunity, a security, a blessing uh, that someone else doesn't have. But you have it. So you're privileged to have it because you have something someone else doesn't have. For example... Uh, you might have a home, you might have a car, you might have a family, uh, you might have an education, you might have a, a great background, uh, you might have all kinds of things, a, a holiday home, who knows what you have, lots of things that you're privileged to have that you could share. And so when we think about being a steward of our privilege, if you have, been, have the privilege of financial wealth, 
generosity is how you steward that for the good of others. If you have a home, hospitality is a stewarding of that privilege for the blessing of others. Rather than being castle-like and inclusive, you open your home up. Forgiveness is stewarding the fact that you have been forgiven a great debt by God, and whatever debt someone else has against you, it is not as much. Therefore, you steward the forgiveness God has given you into the lives of others, and don't harbor bitterness. Voting. You have political power to have a vote, and according to your convictions, can make a difference in our society by voting to benefit the greater good. A political privilege. Um, inviting people into your family or social circle to, so they are included. You maybe have great social capital and strength from your family and friends and, and, and whatever other groups you're a part of, and you know people that don't have such strength in community, what is it to privilege what you're, to steward your privilege is to go, who could I invite into these, this friendship that I have with other, you know, or who could I invite into my family connections so they'd be strengthened through that? That is what stewardship, stewarding your privilege is all about. To think about how to do this, we're going to look at a story from 1 Kings 3, which was just read out by Katie. Now, I want to say at the start, this talk is 90, well, not quite, but it's majority taken from a talk by a church leader called Andrew Wilson. So I am not the, uh, the sort of inventor of these thoughts. I am purely stewarding something I have received a couple of years ago, and I want to pass on to you. At the end of the service, Tim's going to come up. Uh, Tim works with lots of underprivileged people, and uh, Tim's going to share about how he uses his privilege and, and help us think through how we can use our privilege at the end. We'll have a little interview. So 1 Kings 3, it's about King Solomon, and he has enormous privileges, but he uses those privileges for the benefit of others. Solomon was the son of David, and he became king of Israel in the 10th century BC. Solomon's reign is seen as the golden age of Israel's history. He established peace. All the enemies were subdued. He established a temple so that all the nations could come and worship Israel's God. Famously, the Queen of Sheba, the richest person in the world, came, saw Solomon's wisdom, saw how happy the people were, saw the peace and prosperity, and worshipped Israel's God. The Gentiles did come in. Uh, and throughout the story, we see that, uh, that, that at no point as, was Israel ever more secure and was a king ever as great in Israel as Solomon and the people under Solomon's rule. So he used his privilege well, and he wrote proverbs and songs about how to live a wise life. We still have them today. But it goes wrong at the end and has catastrophic consequences. Solomon has a great start and a terrible end, and it's all to do with how he did or didn't use the privilege well. So he's a good guy to look at because we can see what did he do well with his privilege and what did he do badly with his privilege? What should we follow and what should we think to avoid? So we're going to learn three things he does well and one thing he does badly. So here are the four things that are on your handout that be on the screen. He starts by acknowledging what he has, his privileges. He asks for what he doesn't have, wisdom, to use the privileges well. He acts on it, for the good of others, but at the end, he assumes the privileges for him to the detriment of others and himself. So, four points. He starts by acknowledging the privilege he has. In verse 5, God comes to Solomon and says this, um, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked him, ask for whatever you want me, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, that's a great thing for God to say to you. Imagine that, you know, genie in the bottle, genie pops out of the bottle, you can have one wish, 
I'll have infinite numbers of wishes, please. You know, that kind of classic answer. I'll, I'll have lot. Uh, wh- what would you ask? God says you can have anything. Amazing. What does he say? Well, actually, Solomon doesn't ask for anything initially. He starts by acknowledging what he already has been given. Do you see what he says? He doesn't ask for anything. Look at verses 6 to 8. Solomon answered, not can I have. He says, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son, Solomon, to sit on the throne to this day. And he goes on. Solomon starts by listing what he has. He has a throne. He has the kindness of God through his ancestors. He has a great people to rule over. This is a great habit for you guys to get into. To list what God has given you so you don't take it for granted and you don't assume it's for your own benefit. God has already given you money, jobs, family, health, relationships, church, food, fun, and the list goes on. And if you don't make a a regular habit in your life of stopping and writing down and thanking God for the things he has given you, you'll take them for granted and you'll use them for the wrong reasons. You won't be generous. You won't be a good steward. Let me start with a few as I was thinking through this talk. I am a Christian. What a privilege. I have been given life through Jesus now and forever. Lord, I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. Stop for that. I'm privileged to be a Christian. I'm an Irish and British citizen. What an amazing privilege, especially with Brexit coming up. Look, I can get in and out of countries. I can take jobs in certain countries that lots of people can't. Lord, I'm so privileged to be an Irish and British citizen with two passports. I live in 21st century Dublin. We have anesthetics. (laughs) Most of history didn't. We have running water, we have good sewage, we have people that collect our bins, we have public libraries, we have nice parks in the city centre that you can go and walk in and enjoy. We have police that walk our streets to keep us safe. Millions of people around the world, certainly in history, don't have any of that. Do you know you have that? Or you take it for granted? List what you have. I speak English. What a huge, if an alien was coming to earth going, I need to pick one language to download into my brain so I can communicate in this earth in the 21st century, what language would it be? Maybe Mandarin, someone said. If they were a forward-thinking alien. Currently, I'm just saying, I, I understand statistically more speak, people speak English on earth than anyone else. If I'm wrong, forgive me, you get my point. English unlocks so much. Mandarin unlocks so much. Spanish language locks, unlocks so much. Whatever language you have, it unlocks something, and other people can't get that because they don't necessarily speak it. It's a privilege. I can read. I had an education, and my parents encouraged me in that education. Millions of kids around the world never got that. You know that if you can read? You have access to life that lots don't have. I'm a white male. What a privilege. In this world, I have never received a sexual or racial slur because I'm male and because I'm white. I recently heard of a pastor in London who has a majority black church and he got a number of his congregation into a room and made them go to either side of a line depending on the question he asked them. Over 30, under 30, and you know, the room separates. Born in the first half of the year, born in the second half of the year, and the room separates. Stand over to this side if you've ever been pulled over by the police. Every white person bar one went that side, every black person went that side. I'm a white male. That's a privilege. I I have never, ever been pulled over by the police except when everyone's been pulled over to be breathalyzed. I've never had a racial slur. And uh, 
I've never had a sexual uh, approach in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a long way. Lots of people in the world can't say that. I have a job. What a privilege. I have a wife and two kids. Wow. I have a house, a room that I can have with my wife and a study. I have a car, I have a garden. I can afford a holiday. I have parents who love me. I have a community here at Christ City Church that acts like a family. I'm not, please don't hear me. I'm not trying to look how great. I'm saying this is a privilege. The list goes on. Do you know your privileges? Have you listed them? Have you thought them through? Or do you take them for granted? To use privilege wisely, you must first see that you are privileged and acknowledge them and thank God for it. So three minutes on your bit of paper, on your phone, I want you to list five privileges that you've probably never seen until I just said this. And think, what are the privileges that I currently take for granted that I need to think and just actually thank God for? So first thing, acknowledge the privileges you do have. Second thing, Solomon asks for the thing that he doesn't have. So, uh, verse 9, he says this. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? First of all, God says, what do you want, Solomon? And Solomon says, first, I need to thank you for what I already have. And then he says, you know, and he says, you know, I'm a child. I can't handle these in in verse 7. And, and, you know, your people are too numerous. Verse 8, he realizes he's overwhelmed. He doesn't know how to use his privilege and he's not going to be wise enough. So Solomon says, if I don't get wisdom... All my privileges will never be used well. I can be as wealthy, I can have all this education, I can speak the right languages, have the right connections. If I don't have wisdom, I will never be able to use this for the benefit of others. So Solomon is motivated by generosity. He wants to be a steward of what he has for, to benefit others. And he asks God for wisdom. And look how God honors him. God will always honor you if you go, Lord, I've, I've got this and I want to somehow use it for others. I don't know how, give me wisdom. I want, Lord, I've, I've got this. I want to be generous. I, I don't feel very generous. Make me generous. Give me wisdom so I can be. God will honor that. He honors Solomon. And he says, actually, I'm going to give you wealth and wisdom. And, uh, but he says, I'm going to give you riches and power as well because you've asked for those things. And uh, the Apostle Paul says the same in the New Testament. He says, if you give generously, he's talking financially. He says, watch how God will give back. Maybe financially. But he says, uh, you'll be enriched in every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. In other words, God honors generosity and stewarding of what we have. So we need wisdom. How can I use the privilege of having a home to serve other people? How can I use the gift of being able to read and speak English to serve other people? How can I use my cultural power, my vote, to help this country? How can I use the fact that I have a car to bless people? How can I take this skill that I required from a job or training or, or, or my background to bless others? It may not be clear, and, it, and we can't be the savior of the world overnight. We cannot fix or solve everything. We haven't got unlimited. We're not the omnipotent one who can do all of these things. So we need wisdom, Lord. What can I do, and how can I use what I've received from you to bless others? Uh, and so I was going to get you to do this in your groups, but we're running out of time with City Group Sunday. So a good thing to think about, well, actually, give you one minute. Put in, no talking, just an asterisk. Where do you need wisdom? To go, Lord, I know these are some of my people. I don't actually know how to use this to benefit others. It's just, it's a challenge. I don't know how to manage my time. I'm not quite sure what that means. And then you're going to, obviously, this week, hopefully pray. So just put an asterisk next to some of those privileges going, Lord, this is a privilege, but I don't know how to use it. Solomon's like, I, I could mess this all up. Just take a moment there. 
put an asterisk. Where do you need wisdom so that you can use this privilege well to serve others? It's not always obvious or easy to know how to do that. So firstly, Solomon acknowledges what he has. Secondly, he asks for what he doesn't have, wisdom. Thirdly, he acts on it. The next bit in the story, which wasn't read to us, is where we learn about Solomon's wisdom. And two women, two prostitutes actually come and they're fighting over a baby and saying, this baby's mine. They go, this, this baby's mine. And Solomon uses his wisdom uh, to discern and adjudicate which is the true, the true mother. And uh, you know, he finds out and the people are amazed at his wisdom. And so we see his wisdom in action to govern the people wisely. And he says, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given around which mother was the right one, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So Solomon used his privilege and his wisdom to bless the people. He made a temple. He secured peace and prosperity for Israel. It says in chapter 420, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as sand on the seashore. They ate and they drank and they were happy, i.e., when people use their privilege with wisdom for the benefit of others, it blesses others extraordinarily. Let me give you a few examples of the privileges that I've had of people blessing me. When I was at university, an older Christian man met with me and two friends to study the Bible, pray, answer our questions, and give us guidance. He, he used his priv- amazing privilege of experience to teach us. Uh, friends of ours in Norway used to pay for Leanne and I and then the kids to fly over for a holiday. He had a good job in oil. Uh, and we would, couldn't afford a holiday, and he used to say, I'll pay for that. And we used to get a holiday. We had two in Norway. He, used the pr- he, used, he stewarded his money so well to bless us. Friends of ours in Wicklow have a nice big house, and they let us use it for our leadership retreats free of charge. That's stewarding a home really well. Friends of ours use their time and experience to support us in a church in the form of an advisory team. They give us their time and their energy and their prayer. Some of you who, are, who have more flexibility of time have given us your babysitting services so Leanne and I can have a night out or we've both got something on and we need someone to look after our kids. And we're so grateful you've stewarded your flexibility of time, which we don't have sometimes. Or I think of a good friend of Leanne or I who's a single woman in her late 30s who would love to have kids, but she hasn't had any of her own. And uh, she uses her home and her time to foster kids that don't have stable backgrounds. And she's done it for years. Amazing. And she stewards her love that she has for kids that aren't, but she doesn't have kids to bless other kids. Or I think of my mum and dad, who for most of my life always had our spare room with someone else living in it, an international student or a missionary who just returned from abroad. And every Christmas day, we'd have three or four people from different nationalities around the table for Christmas Day. They stewarded their home, and I'm grateful that I learned that. Solomon is a wonderful example of how to use privilege generously. May we act on what God has given us. May we not feel guilty. May we not hoard it for ourselves. May we not be ignorant of what we have, but may we acknowledge it, pray for wisdom, and then act to benefit others. But the story doesn't end there. Israel's king makes a big mistake. Fourthly, he assumes the privileges for him and not for others. As the story goes on, um, Solomon starts to lose his way, and he uses his power for all the wrong reasons. He gets many wives. Bad idea. He has lots of foreign gods. Bad idea. He gets lots of horses from Egypt to make him a real strong standing army because he wants to make sure he's protected rather than trusting God for his protection. Bad idea. And so the eventual result is that his successor and son, a man called Rehoboam, leads so badly that the nation of Israel splits in half. 
There's a tragic irony in how the writer's telling the story. At the beginning, Solomon used his wisdom so that a baby wasn't split in half by two people fighting over this kid. At the end, he so lost his way, the nation is split in half. The writer does it deliberately. What we mustn't do with our privilege is assume it's for us. Use it for our own gain. We have to acknowledge. We then ha- we can enjoy them. We can make the most of our privileges. Don't feel guilty about it. Appreciate it. Thank God for them. But then as for wisdom, act on it and never assume it's for you. So Solomon's story starts well but ends in tragedy. And so like all of the Old Testament, it leaves us pointing forward. Is there going to be a king who's going to be so wise and so generous but never abuse his privilege or power so it doesn't just benefit one bit of history and one group of people but benefits everyone forever? Well, hallelujah, we have such a king. Do you remember? He was the son of David or an ancestor. Solomon was known as, you know, the wise Solomon. It says by the Apostle Paul that, uh, that all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Solomon built a temple so the nations could come and worship. Jesus says, I am the temple. And we here, only one I think is Jewish, or from, you know, we, we're, we're all the nations coming in to worship. The one that is the true God of Israel, Jesus. He was the prince of peace. Solomon established peace. But he doesn't fall as Solomon did. He never uses his privilege and says, these are mine. Remember Philippians 2? He did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but gave himself up, became a man, made himself nothing, even, and, and became obedient to, even to death on a cross. This is the ultimate story of stewarding privilege for the good of others. We are all here today because our king gave up his privilege. And the more you get to know him, the true and better Solomon the more the Prince of Peace comes into your life, the more the wisdom of Jesus is embedded in your heart, the freer you will be to hold everything. You'll have all the security. You'll have all the power. You'll have all the knowledge. You'll have all the, the riches. You'll have all the you know, eternal. You'll have it all. You, I, don't need, I don't need to have panic about this. I can be a steward of what I have because I have everything in Jesus. You'll be naturally and spontaneously generous. You'll look for ways to steward what you have. Final thing, what has privilege got to do with City Group Sunday and our city groups? Well, everything. City groups are essentially missional communities. Missional, we want to find ways, practical ways to serve and bless our city, both by sharing the gospel and sharing God's love in practical ways. We're stewarding what God has given us. And communities, we want to steward the gifts and the love and, and, and the relationships we have within us to form really tight-knit communities. So to form this community means you're going to have to steward your time. You're going to have to think about how you can bring what you have to the table. You're going to have to be part of a WhatsApp group where you pray for people that are sending in prayer requests because they're in your city group. In other words, city groups are a great place to acknowledge, God, you've given me this, and here's a group of people that I can use this for others. Home, cars, gifts, time, knowledge, love, resources, to bless the community internally and together to think, what privilege do we have as CCC that we can bless the city of Dublin? And one of the ways you steward that privilege is to turn up every week to your city group to bless others and go to think, how can I go to city group tonight or this week to serve rather than just receive? Yes, sometimes you'll be tired. Yes, sometimes work will have got on top of you. Yes, sometimes you should miss it because lots of things are going on in your life. But stewarding your privilege of all the privileges you have is I'm going to be committed to this group, to bless this group of people. 
instead of just turning up and letting a few people carry the weight of your city group, go, I'm going to wash up every week. I'm going to offer to bring food every week. I'm going to say to the leaders, I can lead a Bible study once or twice a term. I can come up with missional ideas in the city where we can think of practical things to do, and I'm going to organize that. Remember, Jesus spent most of his time with 12 disciples, pouring his life into them. That is what city groups are about, a small group of people intentionally thinking about how they can pour their lives into one another and into the city. And just imagine if we did this. How we become a light on a you know, city on a hill, as Jesus said. We'd, we'd enri- the church would be enriched and we'd benefit Dublin. Or we could do what Solomon did at the end. No, it doesn't suit me. I want to benefit myself. I'm going to make sure I, I do what suits me. You're weak in the church. We need you. I urge you, I prioritize. Give to your city groups. Don't just be a consumer. Be a giver. Steward the privilege in a small group of people in CCC and see what God will do. So let me pray, and then I'm going to invite Tim up, who's going to come and share. Father, thank you for this great story and uh, of Solomon, the good, the bad, the ugly of his reign. And thank you that, Jesus, you're the true king uh, who generously and perfectly in all wisdom stewards your privilege, and you gave it all up, and you uh, gave us life, eternal life, and you brought us out of the, the sentence of death and judgment, and you brought us into life and uh, and, um, and, and, and no condemnation, and we, and we thank you for that. And help us now, even as we listen to Tim and as we think it through this week in our city groups, to think through what have you given us that we can bless others in this church and bless this city with. Wake us up, Lord, where we need to be woken up, and, and give us wisdom like Solomon needed. Give us that wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So instead of singing to finish, I'm going to ask Tim a couple of questions. Do pull that, pull that up. So, Tim... Tell us, what do you do yeah. with your general, you know, week to week? Yeah, no problem. Um, so, I guess I was just going to briefly explain my career. I was very lucky. Started in Dublin nearly seven years ago, working for an inner city charity, working with the young people, kind of inner city and south inner city. Then I moved to a job working with young men, 17 to 24 in the prison, working with them in the prison, and then following them into the community and keeping them out of trouble. And then I now work for the last two and a half years for a charity, where basically we're subcontracted by the social work department to come in where there's a child in trouble whose placement is going to break down. And my job is to make sure that placement doesn't break down so that that child doesn't end up in the care of the state. And I guess I've always tried to explain it. That can be any circumstances. We have some children that haven't left the house in two years, don't go to school, constantly sit and play Xbox. And so in that role, my job would be to come in and socialize and help socialize that child and also empower that parent because that child's going to be taken off their parent and being, you know, put into the care of state. Or you might have your more traditional 10, 11, 12-year-old boy who's very violent, uh, abusing drugs, and his behavior is so unmanageable that he might have gone through every family member. He might be on his third, fourth, fifth foster placement, and basically they're getting to the end of the stage where they're going, this child's behavior is unmanageable unless he gets brought into a care home. And again, my job would be then to come in, support that placement, and hopefully ensure that he stays wherever he currently is. So you're working with, you know, some real challenging situation, people from challenging backgrounds. How does that help you understand, I guess, your privilege and the privileges we have that, you know, I said today, we often don't even know, we, we take them for granted. What have you started to appreciate about some of the things that we often take for granted that are really privileges? 
Stephanie, I, th I think some of the saddest moments in the job are when you do see a child get to the end and no matter what the intervention is, they actually do have to be brought into the care of the state. And for that to happen, they must have exhausted everything in the sense that their own biological family is not suitable, their own extended biological family is not suitable, foster placements are just unmanageable. And you get to a place where there's no one in this child's life that can manage them, that can help them, that can actually look after them, and so they get brought into this care home. And I remember my uh, nephew is six, his name is Subasa, and he lives in England. And uh, I remember a moment when he was about two, two and a half, and there was five adults around him at the swings. It was me, my brother, who's his dad, my two sisters, and my dad, his, his grandfather. And I remember just being overwhelmed with sadness to see this child. My nephew, I'm thinking, there's five adults here that could look after this child in a heartbeat. There's five perfectly well-rounded individuals that could protect and look after and provide for this needs of Subasa and see him grow up to be doing really well. And I'm working with children that there's not one adult that can be found in their entire family and within the entire foster, you know, kind of placement support network. So I think what you realize is the generational privilege. It, it, it's like, a, you, know, uh, you know, you get this bottle of river rock and it says, you know, I don't know, it started 4,000 miles away in the mountains and then suddenly you get it in this bottle. I don't know if that's true, but for me, I've been distilled. I've been distilled after generation after generation after generation of patience, good parenting, love, kindness, you know, all this sort of stuff. And that gets distilled into me and that creates someone that is privileged beyond belief and hopefully for a lot of us here as well. So I think that's generally the biggest thing I've learned is the generational privilege I've had, but also the generational chaos, vice versa, it takes for a child to be in a position where not a single member of their family is able to look after them. Now, Solomon prays for wisdom. You know, we can all associate there's a, something in our heart goes, that, that is sad, that's tragic, and, and, but we need wisdom still to know how to take that sense of privilege and that then burden for those that aren't. So how have you learned, you know, what have you learned in the area of wisdom? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom to be had. I think in that second job that I mentioned there working for the, the, the pri or in the prison, it was amazing. I worked with a guy who's a visionary, uh, Graham Jones, and, and, and he, 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 the job was described to me, and it was this. It was like, this is your job. This is your vision. It was uh, to love every young prisoner in Ireland away from crime towards a new life. So that was our vision. And I remember walking into the prison. The prison hated me, right? So the, a lot of the prison guards were very aggressive towards us. They really hated that. In their view, we were helping what they would describe as scumbags, as people that they'd written off, people that they just thought were the worst. And so I was quite regularly verbally and, and not physically, but really, really bad, dealt badly with the prison officers. And sometimes they would ruin my entire day and make me wait for two, three hours and refuse to let me into the prison. And it was just so frustrating because you're trying to work with these young men and these prison officers are just refusing to let you do your job and are being quite verbally aggressive and, like I say, locking doors, not letting me get past, all this sort of stuff. And I remember there was one time where I'd been waiting for about two and a half hours. I was just at the end of my tether and there was this prison van pulled up and you can't see, they're all blacked out and there's knocking on the window, knocking on the window. And I kind of just, I, did, I couldn't see who it was and I just kind of gave the thumbs up. That was my end of my day. And I just hadn't, I was so frustrated, had so much work to do in the prison, wasn't allowed in. A week later, I walked into the prison and this guy was like, Tim, that was me last week. That was me. I was on my court date, you know. But for me in that moment, my vision was to love every young prisoner away from crime towards a new life. And that gives you such vision and such focus that I had the patience and I did what the best that I could do in that horrific circumstances. And I was able to have that conversation with him and I was able to be like, yeah, cool. I gave you the thumbs up and didn't know who it was. But I'm saying there was such wisdom in that because it meant no matter what the prison threw at us, no matter what the day threw at us, we had such a clear idea that this is what we were trying to do. We were trying to love those young men 
away from crime. And that meant a day where nothing happened. You conducted yourself as best as you possibly could and loved that person. And, and you showed patience and kindness to the prison officers who were showing you nothing but aggression and hatred and, and, and different things. So I think for me, there's great wisdom in having a very simple vision because it meant no matter what I did any day of the week, I was able to very clearly see have I enacted that vision or haven't I? And as simple as putting the thumbs up was part of that. And that's just, uh, I think there's great wisdom then in that. I think the other side of that is in the charity world, you have a lot of people who make themselves indispensable. And that's really unhealthy and there's actually a lack of wisdom in that. We all want to feel indispensable, but you get a lot of people who use their own lack of self-worth or feeling and they project that into the charity and into the people they're working with and they meet their own needs from that. And part of the biggest danger and, and something that maybe I got caught up in is a culture where you become indispensable, where you work and you work and you work and you work and then you feel like if you pull away that the, the client or the, the family will fall apart. But that's really, really unwise and really, really unhealthy. And so actually... I guess I've, I've, you know, I've seen two sides of the coin. We have very clear vision, and you know a thumbs up is already building into that. And I've seen a culture where you become indispensable and you just get burnt out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a disaster. Final question as, uh, for us as a church generally, but as we think about city groups, how, is, you know, how can we as a church, how can we as city groups think through using our privilege to benefit Dublin and enrich the church here? Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, that's what I'm saying. I think for us, we're really lucky as a church. We actually have a very simple vision. And it's up here, you know, to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Like, that is the vision of this church. And, and that's a beautiful sentence. And that's such a, or it's a scripture, but it's such a, a simple concept. And I think then um, that's all-encompassing. And that could look like anything in every different group. You know, we, you might have a scenario where a city group, one of the members of that say, listen, we might be looking to foster and, you know, or something like that. And that would be an amazing thing where that city group could go, what can we do to support you as you make a decision to become a respite, so, you know, foster giver or care or whatever. And that would be absolutely astounding to be going, we are seeking the peace and prosperity of this city by protecting a child as a city group and doing, whether that was making meals, helping them with babies, whatever it is. You know, if you look at Edwin and his expertise, that city group, the Beer and Bible one might go, well, listen, what are we going to do as a city group to enact the vision of a, a, a healthy better climate for Dublin and the difference that makes. So I think um, we have a vision and that's amazing and it's so clear and I think then as a group and actually as a city group it's probably a really nice place to have a much smarter uh, or a much smaller discussion but a much bigger impact because in some ways that's very kind of out here but actually a small 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 20 individuals can sit down and go what's our vision? What is it that we want to do that seeks the peace and prosperity of the city we live in which is Dublin? Great vision. Tim, pray for us as we finish, and then we'll go to City Group Sunday. Um, Father, we just thank you for the example of, of Solomon, and we thank you that he asked for wisdom, and, and what a blessing that Israel was in the good times with that. Uh, we, thank, we thank you for this city, Dublin, Father, that we, we all call home, and, and just what an amazing city it is, filled with such vibrancy and, and just amazing different people. Uh, but we also acknowledge it's a hurting city. It's a city that's lost. It's a city that doesn't have the answers. It's a city that has so many people in, in so many horrific circumstances. Uh, we thank you for all of our privileges um, and just help us to acknowledge them over the next week and just let that sink in, just how incredibly you've blessed us. Um, and we just pray, Father, give us eyes to see those that are less uh, privileged than us. Give us compassion for that person in work or school or neighbor that just is struggling or is lonely. 
and yeah, embolden us, give us courage and give us vision. Uh, let people in rise up and go, I, you know, I, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I want to see this city uh, prosper and I want to see it full of peace and full of your grace. Amen. <laughs>